Today we are in week number three. Everybody say three. In week number three of a series called the 11th Hour, where we are studying the end time events. Now this is, this is not necessarily popular teaching. This is not something that, um, uh, that I always feel comfortable teaching. I'm going to tell you, I feel out of my element sometimes when I talk about the, the end times, especially where we're going to get to today, and you'll see that here in just a second. It's not in my wheelhouse uh, it's some of the things that we're going to talk about today, it's a lot of information, but it's things that we all need to know. It's imperative that we know because the enemy wants us to be naive about things that are happening around us. And so we're looking at some of the things that are going to happen in the end times. And when I say end times, as this world comes to an end. And for many of you, you may not even be aware of this. You may think that this, that this world is just going to go on forever. It's It's not. It's this world, time as we know it, will be no more. Eternity will start. There will be a new heaven, a new earth, where those of us who've given our life to Jesus will spend eternity with the Lord. Never grow old, never go tired, never, never be out sweating in the sun, pulling weeds from flower beds or things like that. It's going to be great. So when I say the end times, that's what I'm talking about as this world comes to an end. In week number one, we talked about um, some of the signs that Jesus said would be evident in our world. Uh, we read verses 1 through 14 of Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said, there will be certain things that will happen in the end times to show that my coming is very near. He said that there would be wars, there would be rumors of wars, nation would rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There would be famines, there would be earthquakes. He said there would be uh, not only distress and disasters, but there would be deception. Many people are going to be deceived. And it's just a, it's, it's a time that's going to intensify and um, these signs will happen more frequent as the coming of the Lord draws near. He, he compared them to birth pains. So we know for a woman who's about to give birth, uh, the, the contractions become more intense. And I'm nodding my head like I know. I don't know, but they become more intense and they happen more frequent as the child is getting ready to be birthed. Jesus said this is what's going to happen in the end of uh, the, the last hour is that uh, these signs that I'm saying, distress, deception, uh, all of these things are going to intensify and be more frequent as the end draws near. So that's what we talked about in week number one. Last week, I talked to you about the rapture of the church, the, the moment where... Every born-again believer is instantaneously taken out of this world to be with Jesus. And I personally believe that that can happen at any moment. That that is the very next event on God's prophetic calendar, time clock. Matter of fact, I want to reread it to you. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. I love this. This is encouraging words. So, because I, I want to get you encouraged because what we're talking about today is really not very encouraging. It's pretty dark, actually. So we're going to be encouraged right off the bat, and then we're going to talk about some dark days, and then we're going to be encouraged at the end. All right, so let's go ahead and get some excitement. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, The Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be, here's the phrase, caught up. That's the Greek word harpazo. It means to be seized up, to be taken quickly. It's almost like a rescue operation. He says, we're going to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. 
So encourage one another with these words. Let people know, hey, listen, things may be bad, but the Lord is coming, and we're going to be with Him forever. Today, we're going to shift gears, and we're going to talk about the coming world ruler known as the Antichrist, and what that's going to look like. What, what are some characteristics of this coming world a leader and the role that he plays in this seven-year tribulation. This is a period of time that lasts obviously for seven years um, that's going to be filled with catastrophe, uh, devastation, tragedy. Things will be happening in this world like this world has never seen before. And so we're going to be looking at this coming world ruler who is going to be ruling during this period and see the role that he is going to to play. So we're going to talk about the Antichrist. Y'all excited? All right, I want to start by reading a verse where Jesus says something very important about this coming world ruler. It's found in Matthew 24. We'll go ahead and stay there for just a moment. In verse number 15, Jesus says this about the Antichrist, this coming world ruler. He says, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. And it says, reader, pay attention. Now, Jesus is, is talking about something that Daniel, hundreds of years before, had seen in a, in a vision and had prophesied. So Daniel, or Jesus is reiterating something that Daniel has already spoken. And he's speaking about this, tri- this time of tribulation that's going to happen, this seven-year period that's going to happen where the, the, uh, this one world ruler is going to be ruling, and then three and a half years into it, he is going to set up this, this image, probably of himself, and demand people to worship this image, and that is what is called this abomination of desolation, or the desecration of the holy place. Now, I've got to give you a lot of information this morning. For some of you, you're, this is going to be... Um, old news, you've read this before, but for some of you, you maybe have never even heard some of the things that I'm going to talk about this morning. But one of the things that we have to remember is that this event that's being described happens in the middle of this seven-year tribulation period. This is what Jesus is talking about. This abomination of desolation or the desecration of the temple happens halfway through the tribulation period. Now, I personally believe the tribulation period happens after the church is taken out. That's, that's my personal belief. Many people believe that the rapture happens right here at this moment. Some people believe that happens at the end of the tribulation. We're not going to argue over that. The point is, we know that Jesus is coming back. Okay, that's, that's the main thing. That is a non-essential. We know he's coming back, okay? But I personally believe that the church is taking out before the tribulation period starts. Church is taken out, and then the tribulation period begins with the, the signing or the confirming of a peace treaty uh, between the Israelis and the Palestinians, probably with the support of the United Nations. If, if you watch the news at all right now, you know that the Middle East is is in turmoil. I mean, they're, they're fighting over a piece of territory. They're at constant war with one another. And so the Antichrist, this coming world ruler, will be the one who initiates or brokers a peace treaty agreement that will allow the Jews to rebuild the temple to be able to worship and offer sacrifices again. Um, right now, there is no place for the Jews to worship. They do not have a temple. The first temple 
uh, was built way before my time and destroyed way before my time by the Babylonians. The second temple was built and destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And then right now there is no temple. And so the, all the fighting is about this, uh, this, this place called the Temple of the Mount. If you've ever watched uh, the news about Jerusalem, you'll see this, uh, what's the Dome of the Rock, this place where uh, the Muslims, they'll worship. And so uh, the, the argument is all over this place in Jerusalem. Uh, the Jews wanna, want that place to rebuild the third temple so that they can go back to worship, but the Muslims aren't going to allow that to happen. So right now there's all this conflict. So obviously there has to be a peace uh, treaty that, that happens so the Jews can rebuild that temple to go back to their sacrifices so that this right here can take place. That cannot take place until there is a holy temple for the Jews to practice their, their worship. So this Antichrist will come in and he will be the one to confirm this seven-year covenant. But halfway through, this is where we are right now, he's going to put an end to the Jewish worship and he's going to set up an image of himself and demand the world to worship him. That is what is referred to here as the abomination of desolation. And the Bible says, reader, pay attention. In other words, when this happens, when this right here happens, total chaos is about to unfold. Okay? So now let's, let's, let's turn to the book of Daniel. And if you don't want to go there, it's kind of hard to find. If you find Psalms, which is pretty easy to find, it's like right smack dab in the middle of your Bible. And then move forward about eight books, you'll find Daniel. But we're, we're going to move and put it on the screen so you can follow along. This is, this is the, the prophet Daniel that's speaking about the, the uh, coming world ruler in this peace treaty that he uh, brokers or gets negotiated. He says this, verse 27, he, speaking of the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many. This is, this is the Jews that he's talking about. For one seven, now I know this is kind of confusion, but confusing, but when you study this out, this is for seven years. That's what this seven means. He says he's going to confirm a covenant with, with many for seven years. Years, But in the middle of the seven years, which is three and a half years, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. That right there is what I just explained to you. There's going to be a, a peace treaty sign. The Jews are going to go back to their worship after the temple's built, but halfway through, he's going to put an end to that, and he's going to set up this image of himself and demand people to worship him. So uh, that's just a, a brief description. So what I want to do this morning is I want to spend the remaining of our time and in, in talk about for a little while what the Bible has to say about this Antichrist, this coming world Leader. Now, as I said a while ago, this is not a, a popular topic, and, and if this is your first time here, um, I don't normally speak on things like this on a Sunday morning. Uh, this is more of a Bible study, an in-depth or question-and-answer type thing where people can expound on various things. So this is, this is not normally a, a something that I would teach on, but it is very imperative that we talk about this, especially doing a series on the end times. You can't just... You can't just uh, skim across some things. There's some things that need to be explained. So that's why I am doing this. Now, um, when, you, when you think about the Antichrist, um, a lot of times people say, well, who is the Antichrist? And it's kind of interesting. When you Google that question, who is the Antichrist? 
you, it, you get like 11 million hits. I mean, people want to know who is the Antichrist. And unfortunately, there are a lot of good candidates. Many of them are running for president. Um, but there are some really good candidates. But, but the term Antichrist is, is really only found four places in the Bible. But the description of the Antichrist and other names for the Antichrist is mentioned all throughout the Bible. There are like 25 different names for the Antichrist. Here are a few of them. Master of Intrigue. The prince who is to come, the man of sin, the one who brings destruction, the lawless one, the beast, the little horn, the wicked one. All of these are names for the Antichrist. But the, the name Antichrist is only used four times in the Bible. I want to show you one of those places. 1 John chapter 2, verse 8, uh, the Apostle John says this. He says, Dear children, this is the last hour. There you go. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, in other words, you've heard he's coming, but he says this, even now many, many Antichrists have come. There have been many Antichrists. There are many Antichrists today because Antichrist simply means Antichrist. But there will be one at the end of the age who Satan himself will empower so that he can step into his role as the one world ruler. And I personally believe, because the Bible tells us that no one knows the day or the hour when Jesus is coming back. And Satan doesn't know when Jesus is coming back. So I believe that all throughout the course of history, he always has someone waiting in the wings who can be that final one world ruler. And so this is what John is saying. He says, the Antichrist is coming, but even now, many Antichrists have come. And it doesn't just mean against Christ, but more in the role of what we're talking about this morning. Antichrist means instead of Christ or in place of Christ. In other words, a counterfeit. A counterfeit. So this coming world ruler, he's going to be someone who looks like a savior. He's going to be someone who looks like an anointed one. People are going to love him, but he will have ulterior motives to destroy this everything that has to do with God and everyone who has to do with God. He will look like someone who will be a savior of the world, but ultimately he will bring destruction and seek to destroy everything and everyone who has any association with God. God. Now, once again, we don't know who the Antichrist will be, but we do know what he will be like. So turn with me to Revelation chapter number 13. I don't normally teach from Revelation just because it's, it's a very difficult book. But when you're doing a series on end times, it calls for Revelation. Now, I will tell you, th when we start reading here, um, things are going to get weird really quickly. Okay? And some of you who have never read the Bible and who have been... Uh, thinking about starting to read the Bible, <laughs> when you start to see some of the things that we're about to read, you're going to be like, yeah, that's why I don't read the Bible. I don't understand it. It's difficult, but that's because Revelation is not your normal book in the Bible. It is an apocalyptic book, which means it is prophesying and, and instructing on um, the, the coming destruction of the, of the world. It's a, you know, the apocalypse. You see things on TV right now, the apocalypse and zombies. And, all, and I'm not saying that there's going to be zombies, but that's the end of the world. Okay, And so because it's describing a lot of things such as that, there is a lot of symbolism. Everybody say symbolism. There's a lot of symbolism that is used 
uh, that refers to future realities. Okay? As a matter of fact, some of these things that, that Daniel saw and some of these things that John saw, I mean, these are, these are thousands of years ago. So what they're seeing may not have made sense to them, but if they were, had this vision today, they would describe something maybe totally different. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of symbolism that's used in Revelation, so I'm just telling you that to warn you that things are going to get weird as we start reading, okay? So here we go. Revelation chapter 13, verse number 1. This is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. John says this, and, and revelation simply means he saw this revelation from Jesus, a vision from the Lord, okay? So he writes this down. He says, I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The dragon, which is Satan, gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. John says, I saw this beast coming out of the sea. Now that's not necessarily the sea as in a body of water, but coming out of the sea of humanity. I saw this person or this empire. The beast and the Antichrist is not just a person, it is a system. Uh, like an empire that's going to be raised up. And John says, I saw this coming up out of humanity. He describes him as a beast. When he says beast, he's referring to the Antichrist. But he's not talking about beast as in a, a monster animal because we know that first he's got to come as some sort of charming, smooth-talking, polished uh, um, uh, politician to be able to get this peace treaty to be signed. People's going to fall in love with this guy. Okay? So we know that when he's talking about a beast, he's not talking about some ravaged uh, animal, but rather, I believe, he's talking about the character of this beast. That at first, he will appear to be the global savior, and then he will become the world's cruelest dictator. The Antichrist is going to make people like Hitler look like, or be, look, seem tame by comparison. He's going to come against the people of God. He's going to come against anything that has to do with God. His leadership is going to be brutal, especially towards God's chosen people, the Jews. In fact, in verse number 2, it says that the dragon gave the beast his power. The dragon, and John goes on to say this, or he says it earlier, I believe, in chapter 12, the dragon is Satan himself. And he gives the beast, which is the Antichrist, his power. Now, I want you to know, now, now the devil is no match for Jesus, but the devil has power. It says he's going to give the Antichrist his power, his throne, and his great authority. Satan himself empowers the beast, which is the Antichrist, who essentially becomes Satan incarnate in this world by receiving his power, his throne, and his great authority. He will be the personification of evil and will persecute God's people and eventually lead the armies of this world into a battle against the army of God. So what will, be like? what will he be like? If you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to give you five things. And, and these are all, we're just going to skim some things. I mean, we could spend an entire series on looking at this tribulation period and this coming world uh, ruler. We don't have time for that. So I'm just going to give you some highlights. There are other uh, characteristics that, could, uh, that I could have spoken on this morning. But I want to give you five that we know for sure that this coming world ruler will possess. Number one, if you're taking notes, he will wield global power. That means he will possess and execute global power. Everybody say global power. This is not national power. 
This is global power. In other words, He will control the entire world. Look at verse 7 of chapter 13, Revelation. It says, The beast was given authority over every tribe, every people, every language, and every nation. Again, this is not power over a city. This is not power over a state. This is not power over a country. This is global power. He will control the world. There will be a one world government. And you can already say, I mean, we're moving in that direction right now. A one world government, the Antichrist will have control and power over the entire world. Number two, he will demand worship. Verse number four of Revelation 13, it says, People worship the dragon, which is Satan, because he had given authority to the beast, the Antichrist. Watch this. They also worship who? The beast, the, the Antichrist. And they ask, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Doesn't that sound like something that would be written in Psalms about our God? Who is, who is like our God? Who can rage war or wage war against Him? So this, this Antichrist will demand worship. And the reason why is because his sole ambition is to steal worship from God. We've seen that since day one. His sole purpose is to steal worship from God and be like God in power and in might. That's been his plan all along. In fact, his intention is to replace God so he empowers the Antichrist to do just that. And as we read earlier there in uh, Matthew chapter 24, halfway through this tribulation period, this Antichrist is going to break the peace treaty. He's going to set up an image or sacrilegious object of himself in the temple and he will demand worship. He will demand everyone to worship him. You may say, well, well pastor, why would people worship him if he's going to be so evil? I'm here to tell you, we're about to, this will be my third point here in just a second, but this guy is going to be a smooth talker. He's probably going to be a very uh, good-looking man, in my opinion. He's going to be easy on the eyes, a smooth talker, a great communicator, a gifted orator. Uh, he's get, I mean, your typical politician. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean, but you know, they're going to they're woo the masses. They're going to say what you, what, 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 what you want to hear them say. Like, oh yeah, I'm voting for this guy. Man, he's going to change the world. I mean, this, this is what's going to happen. At first, people are going to fall in love with this man. Because he's going he's to solve the conflict of the world. All the, all the friction between uh, different religions, he's going he's to come in with this idea to defuse all the conflict. And in a sense, he will be all things spiritual, but with no religious, really, attachments. I mean, he's going to solve the world's problems. So people are going to fall in love with him. He's promoting peace and diffusing conflict so people will fall in love with Him and He will demand worship and He will say things that people are like, yeah, this guy, man, I'm all in with Him. Which brings me to the third. Number three, He will possess charisma. He's going to be a very charismatic person. I don't mean charismatic as in like a Pentecostal type religion. I just mean He's, he's just he's passionate. He's outgoing when He speaks. I mean, there's, there's power in His voice and He's just, you know, He's... He's got a lot of uh, flow and just personality. He's very gifted. People love this man. Uh, when I think about this, with him being a polished politician and a gifted communicator, communi see how gifted I am, gifted communicator, 
I, I think about, now remember, he's an antichrist, so he's going to be instead of Christ. Do you remember when Jesus was going around early in his ministry and he was teaching and, and some of the religious leaders would say, man, I've, I've never heard anyone teach like this. For he speaks with, with someone of such authority. I mean, they were in awe by the way that Jesus could speak. I believe the Antichrist is going to possess some similar characteristics because he's, he's a counterfeit Christ. So he's going to say things, even though right now we may think like, well, I would never believe that. Oh, yes, you would. Because he's going to say things. He's going to have the answers to any question that you would have. And he's going to teach with someone having such authority. And people are going to say things about him that they said about Jesus that I've never heard anyone speak like this. Verse number 5, it says, The beast was given a mouth, look at this, to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for three and a half years, 42 months. The things that he will say will make sense. And he will bait and lure people into his trap, just like the devil did in the garden. You ever notice that? If you go back and read that where, where uh, he manipulated and twisted Scripture um, and to lure Adam and Eve into his trap. I mean, he really, he, he didn't just flat out lie. He was very deceptive in how he presented what he was trying to offer to Adam and Eve. He's like, God didn't really say that. Here's, here's what God said. And he got, got them thinking about things. So he's going to be very sly and crafty. Just like... He was in the garden. And people are going to believe Him. With all the conflict that's going on in the Middle East right now between Israel and the Islamic states, this smooth-talking, charismatic man will broker a peace deal to resolve all the conflict. He's going to come in. And he could come, really, I mean, once the church is out of here, he could come at any time and, and just initiate this this covenant, this peace treaty in the world is going to fall in love with this man. He will possess charisma. Number four, he will wage war against God's holy people. He will wage war against God's holy people, God's people. Look at verse 7 again. The beast was given power to do what? To wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. Now, I told you that things would get weird. When we read verses 1 and 2, it got weird really quick where it talks about you know, a crown and, 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 or ten crowns and, and, and ten uh, horns and little horn and all this stuff. In Daniel, it talks about the little horn coming up and, and overthrowing the, the other horns. And what, it, what it's talking about is this Antichrist is going to consolidate power, bringing together a coalition of ten countries to wage war against God's holy people, the Jews. But not just the Jews, but also against anyone who claims to be a follower of God. Remember, his sole purpose is to steal worship from God, so he will wage war against anyone who acknowledges God. His sole purpose is to steal worship, so anyone who claims to be a follower of God is going to wage war against. Which brings me to the last one. Now, don't get too excited because this one's going to be pretty lengthy. He will control the economy. This coming world ruler will control the economy. Verse number 16, watch this. It says, He, speaking of the Antichrist, also forced all people, great and small, rich or poor, doesn't matter how much money you have, how much fame you have, who your parents are, 
free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands and on their, or on their foreheads. Why did he do that? So that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark. Well, what is the mark? It says the mark is the name of the beast. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. Or the system. Okay. The name of the beast or the number of its name. Skip down to verse 18. That number is 666. I'm sure everyone has heard that number. We're all like... You know, like, uh, what is that? Superstitious freaks when it comes to this number. You know, we're checking out at a, at a service station and our total is 666. Oh, i got to buy something else. I can't have that on my receipt. Or you're playing rummy and, uh, you know, you've got three sixes, but you're not there going to play that because that's just, that's, that's the, the name or the number of the beast. Okay, I think we've all probably heard about this this number. In, in my opinion, okay, this, this is my opinion. So this is where you check out here and say, okay, this is what Scott's opinion is. Uh, obviously, we do know that six is the number of man. Okay, there's no question about that. On the sixth day, God made man. God set up a six-day work week for man. And so some, a lot of people will say that uh, the 666 is just man to the extreme. That's what a lot of people say. I personally believe since there are three of them, and maybe it adds up to something, I don't know, but this is my opinion. I believe since there's three of them that this, this is symbolic of what is called the unholy trinity. Okay, The holy trinity, we know, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son. The Son is Jesus, it's God in the flesh, right? And then the Holy Spirit, is His role is to, is to point all the attention to Jesus, to draw us to Jesus. Okay, I believe the unholy trinity is, is Satan, the Antichrist, which is really Satan incarnate, Satan in the flesh, and then the false prophet. And the false prophet's role, when you read Revelations and, 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 and other books, you're going to find that his role is to, is to cause people, to, to, to turn people toward the Antichrist. Like, man, he's the, he's the man. This is God. So my personal opinion is that this, this number 666 represents the unholy trinity. And so this Antichrist is going to control the economy. If you don't have this mark on your right hand or on your, on your forehead, you will not be able to buy or sell anything. Okay? Now, I don't, I don't think this is a, a visible mark necessarily. And, and the remainder of my message, I don't want to talk about this. Maybe we'll talk about this next week. I'm not quite sure which direction I want to go. But I don't think it's necessarily a visible mark where someone's going to look and say, oh yeah, that's, that's a mark. But... You already know about the, the RFID chips that they're talking about and some even experimented this with people putting it in their, between their thumb, the web between their thumb and their finger. Or a, lot of, a lot of your pets have this right now, which is a good idea, isn't it? And they're even putting it in people that have dementia and, and Alzheimer's disease where if they get lost, they can track them and find them, which it's, it makes perfect sense. And I don't believe the chip itself is the mark, but I believe that they'll be able to put some sort of code within that where when you go to check out somewhere and you have this RFID chip or, or even your credit card really works the same way, you go to swipe that, it's going to say declined because it doesn't have the number that's associated with, with the beast, with the system. So it doesn't matter how much money that you have, we are moving, and I know I'm rambling here, but I think it's very important, we are moving to a cashless society. You can have millions of dollars stockpiled at your house and say, well, it don't have, matter what happens in this world, I have million dollars. That cash is going to be worthless. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Why do we need cash? I mean, I don't even carry cash anymore. 
Nobody uses cash hardly. Nobody writes checks. I mean, I still write some checks because I'm old school, but, but most people, they, they, their currency and, and their, their form of paying for things is all done electronically, isn't it? And it makes sense. Speeds up things. It's easier to keep up with. So when we have this one world government, this, this one world ruler who comes in will control the economy. And you won't be able to buy or sell anything without this mark of the beast. And those who do not receive this mark, not only can they not buy or sell, but they will also be killed. Again, Scripture says in verse 7, and I'm trying to wrap this up, and just bear with me this morning. Y'all should have known, when I, the moment that I told you what I was going to talk about, this is going to be a lengthy message, so... Just be patient. Thank you, sir. Verse 10, watch this, watch this. He's, well, earlier in verse 7, he says that he will do what to the saints? He's going to conquer the saints, right? You remember that? Now look what verse 10 says. It says, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity, they're going to go. In other words, if, if, if you're going to get put in prison, you're going to go to prison. If you're, if you're arrested and they say you're going to prison, you're going to prison. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they will be killed. In other words, there is no way to fight against this coming world ruler. Nothing you can do or say. If you do not worship this beast or take this mark, you will be killed. Now, I want to pause for just a moment and and I want to read something from the book of Mark because I think this is very significant. Now, Mark chapter 13, verse 11, this is before the rapture. This is before the seven-year tribulation, okay? This is when Jesus is just speaking to His followers. He says this. He says, Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what you're going to say. Just say whatever is given you at that time. For it is not you speaking, but it is the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's what he had said earlier. Like, hey, when you stand before trial, don't worry about things because the Holy Spirit is going to tell you what to say. But now we're in the tribulation period. Okay? And the Bible is saying here that if you're arrested, you're going to be arrested. If you're, if you're scheduled to be killed, you're going to be killed. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not even mentioned in the tribulation period because the Holy Spirit is not here. At least in the capacity in which he's working right now. He's not here in that capacity. The church is not here. The church is gone. The salt and the light have been removed. What is the purpose of salt? The purpose of salt is to preserve things. Many, many years ago, they didn't have refrigeration and, and, and ways to cool meats and stuff. So they would, they would uh, pack them in salt to preserve. So as the church, as followers of Christ, we... Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. We are here to preserve this earth. He says, you're the light of the world. When the church is gone, there will be no, no, no entity here to, to protect or preserve the earth. There will be no light. For light will have been removed. So, so you may be here thinking this morning, well, pastor, then who are these people who are being killed during this tribulation period? I believe these are people who know about God right now but they've never given their life to God. They're going to have heard, they're going to have sent through messages like, like this, but they've never made any step to, to accept Christ as their Savior. They're going to move into the tribulation period. 
And I believe at that time when the church is gone, they're going to come to the realization that, wow, I missed my opportunity. This, this Jesus, Israel, I believe that they're going to repent and they're going to get saved. They're going to follow God. There will be people who will be saved during the tribulation period. And plus, you will have God's people, the Jews, who will be there, who will be brought to trial and they will be killed. People who are now following God in the tribulation period will be killed. But you may be here to say, this morning and say, well, pastor, what, what is the purpose of all this tribulation? What is the purpose of this coming world ruler? I believe that it is Satan's final attempt to overthrow God and take control of this world. He's always wanted to control this world. And so this is his final means of doing that. It's his attempt to bring together the armies of this world to try to overthrow the armies of God. And that's what's going to happen at the end of this seven-year tribulation period. All the armies of this world are going to come and try to battle against the army of God and try to overthrow God's armies. But I told you I wanted to leave you with some encouragement. So let's, let's move forward a few years and, and things don't work out too well in the end for this coming world ruler. Let's read this together. Revelation chapter 19. We're going to read from verse 11 all the way to verse 21. Here's what it says. This is John here. He says, I saw heaven standing open. This is, this is, the, this is the end of this seven-year period. Okay? And there before me was a white horse. Now, when you read Revelations, when you read earlier in Revelations about one coming on a white horse, that is not Jesus. That is, that is the Antichrist. It says he has a bow in his hand. He was given the authority to conquer. That's, that's the Antichrist. But here in chapter 19, this, this rider of the white horse is Jesus. It says, whose rider is called faithful and, and true. This is Jesus. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Now watch this. The first time that Jesus came to this earth, he was as a lamb, the sacrificial lamb. But the next time he comes back, he's coming back as a warrior to conquer. Not so that the world can do to him what they want to do, but he's, he's coming to judge the world, to wage war. Watch this, verse 14, I love this. The armies of heaven were following him. Who is that? That's us. That's the angels and us. This is, we're part of the armies of heaven coming back with Jesus. Now this is at the second coming. This is when He actually comes down to the earth. Remember the rapture of the church, we meet Him in the air. Now He's actually coming to set up His earthly kingdom on this earth. He says the armies of heaven were following Him riding on white horses. I've never been considered a cowboy, but I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. And dressed, and dressed in fine linen. Why were we dressed in fine linen and, and, and white and clean? Because we are the redeemed. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Verse 15. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of, 
of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Things are about to get nasty in this battle. He says, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all the people free and slave and great and small. These are all the people who are opposing God. God says, I'm about to wipe them out. And the birds of the air are going to have a a major supper. Verse 19, watch this. Then I saw the beast. Who's the beast? This is the Antichrist. And the kings of this earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. Here they are. He's, He's worked up this coalition. Now all the armies of this world are coming to battle against the Lord and His armies. Okay? Verse 20, but the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Verse 21, the rest, the rest of the armies were killed. Watch this. Watch this. Some of you are like, well, I don't even know if, if I know how to fight. You're... Some of you are like, well, I didn't sign up for this. I, I don't know about coming back and fight. Listen, you, we're not even going to have to lift a finger. Watch what's going to happen. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. I'm here to tell you, he's talking about the word of the Lord. When the Lord speaks, things happen. By his spoken word, the earth and the heavens and everything that is now in existence was formed. And just with the breath of his mouth. Have you ever been around someone? I'm not saying that the Lord's going to have bad breath. But have you ever been around somebody and just their breath, just like, whoo, my word. Come, you ever, yeah, some of you right now, you got that. Just, just do that little check and you, you'll be taken back. But we, these armies of, of, of the world and the Antichrist and his rulers, they're going to be destroyed by the word of the Lord. He's going to speak and everyone is going to be destroyed while we sit back and just sing the praises of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. The final battle, evil is going to be judged. I heard someone teaching the other day on... on a, about God and that God is a God of love, okay? But if He's really, truly a God of love, He has to judge evil. He can't, he can't let things just happen without going unpunished. Young girls who are in sex trafficking and human trafficking, He's going to deal with that. He's going to deal with all of those who are caught up in this. Because He loves us so much, He's going to... Vengeance is His. He's... He's going to make things right. And all of those who are participating in evil and all of those who are, who are following this beast and his system and think that they're going to overthrow God because they're sick and tired of hearing about God. They're sick and tired of all this Christianity stuff. They're going to try to overthrow this, but God's going to make things right. And the purpose of this prophetic book in Revelations and even in Daniel and even some of the other Old Testament prophets. The purpose in prophecy, listen, is to fill you with faith and hope. Not fear, but faith and hope. To let you see that the Bible is indeed the Word of God and what it says will happen, will happen. 
I told you in week number one that, that uh, um, it's like 300 prophecies about the coming of Jesus, His first coming and His second coming. A hundred of them was about His first coming. And He fulfilled that. He came. And if He, if, if, if he fulfilled that prophecy of His first coming with just only a hundred prophecies that mention His first coming, how much more do you think He's going to fulfill His second coming where there are at least 200 prophecies about His second coming? He, I'm telling you, He's coming. This world as we know it is going to be over. And my question throughout this entire series every single week is, are you ready? Are you ready? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because that's what's going to get us into heaven. It's not because I was faithful to church every single Sunday. It's not because, you know, Scott Finley was my pastor. It's not because my great-grandma and my grandma were just, you know, they were great uh, women of God. It's not how much money you had or how much money you put in the offering or, or what kind of degree you have or what kind of social status you have or how many likes that you have on Instagram or Facebook. Those things aren't going to get us to heaven. The only thing that will get us to heaven is by believing in the only righteous one, the only perfect one who, who lived a perfect sinless life and, and satisfied the requirements of God, and that is Jesus Christ. He came, He took the penalty of our sin by dying on the cross, and He conquered death, hell, and the grave and was raised to new life and is now seated at the right hand of God. And one day He's coming back for His bride, the righteous, the redeemed, those who have put their hope and their faith and their trust in Him. Are you one of those? He's coming. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes.